listening to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. This is Lauren and Shannon, teacher training duo of TefelHorizons.com. Each week, we bring you teaching advice, travel tips, and inspiring stories from around the globe. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. Hello, and welcome back to Expand Your Horizons, the TEFL Horizons podcast. I'm Shannon, and this is Lauren. Hi! And we are very excited about today's episode because today we're talking about everyone's favorite subject when it comes to teaching ESL, teaching grammar. (laughs) And we're talking about this today because we've been CELTA trainers for a long time, many years, and... Lauren, would you agree that when it comes to teaching, candidates are probably the most nervous about teaching grammar? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's usually the thing that freaks um, teachers in training out more than anything else, teaching any other type of lesson. And what we've noticed about working with students is that our ESL students either desperately want to be taught grammar or they desperately hate learning grammar. It tends to be quite polarizing. And I think that's because, understandably, students have had a lot of negative experiences learning grammar in the past, mainly because teachers don't know what they're doing when it right. comes to teaching exactly, grammar. Exactly, exactly. Um, Lauren, what are some things you've noticed, maybe some pitfalls when you've observed grammar lessons? Uh, a lot of times teachers in training will go into it thinking that they know enough about the grammar because they're native speakers. They speak English and they like like speak English well, and they think, oh, I've got this. Like I, I know it enough that I can teach it to someone else. But what I think we've seen over the years is that, that thinking that you know it doesn't necessarily translate into being able to teach it. Exactly. And that's kind of just the tip of the iceberg, right? So in this episode, we're actually talking about five things, um, five sort of misconceptions or five things that prospective ESL teachers or maybe even current ESL teachers um, don't really realize about teaching grammar, and we're going to try to give a little bit of advice to help those issues. Uh, So number one is what Lauren basically just mentioned. Um, Number one is that native speakers, native English speakers, don't really know grammar, but we think we do. (laughs) And that's an issue because it becomes very quickly apparent um, that just being able to speak and write using correct grammar or using good grammar is not at all the same as being able to teach grammar to ESL students. So the way that you need to understand the English language in order to teach it to a non-native speaker is not at all the way um, you need to understand it in order to be able to speak it. Um, as native speakers, you know, we learn our own language implicitly. Nobody sits us down and, and says, okay, you know, when we're small children, um, our parents don't have to say to us, okay, honey, today we're going to learn the simple past tense, right? right? Uh, we just pick this up from listening to the people around us, from being involved in our own culture, uh, from communicating naturally. But this isn't how adults or, or even young adults learn another language. So most of the students that teachers are working with, they've learned the ins and outs, the terminology, all the sort of technical aspects of English as a second or as a foreign language, and they expect that their teachers are going to be prepared for that. Um, So oftentimes when I tell people, 
what I do, that I'm an ESL teacher, or that I'm an ESL teacher trainer, um, and I make some sort of reference to grammar, people will say things like, oh yeah, I, I could do that. I, you know, I'm an editor, <laughs> or I'm a writer, um, or I, I'm a public speaker. I'm great with language. I'm great with grammar. That may very well be. Um, you might be very articulate. You might be a fantastic writer. You might even edit papers or edit writing for other people and correct yeah. their writing, yeah. that still doesn't mean that you're in any way prepared to teach ESL. Um, and I think that's something that we've both learned the hard way as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We're not judging. We've all been through this. Absolutely. Yeah. I was pretty confident personally about grammar going into teaching just because I'm sort of a nerd. And um, one of my very first classes, probably... I don't know, I had maybe been teaching about a month, a couple months at that point. Um, I thought I was doing great. I'd even done some studying up on grammar. I'd taken a CELTA course. Um, and I still, there were still things I just hadn't encountered that I just wasn't quite comfortable with. And um, we were learning, I don't even remember what the topic was of the lesson, but there was a sentence that came up that was something like, you know, I had my house painted last week. And um, I had no idea how to explain what, what that was, what kind of structure that was called. Of course, I knew it. Of course, I used it. Um, but I had no idea how to talk about it in front of my class. And finally, one of the students raised his hand and he said, um, oh, isn't that the causative? And I had never heard that term before. And, and so I said, no. <laughs> I said, no, basically, that, that's not a thing. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I think this is something like the passive voice. And then I looked at it more closely and I said, no, actually, it's, it's not really. Um, but he was right. It's a structure in English that we call the causative. Um, I had just never come across it before and I was completely unprepared to teach it. Yeah. So... Has anything like that ever happened to you? Yeah, it, it actually it, it segues really nicely into uh, our uh, topic or point number two on the list, which is uh, knowing terminology from a book doesn't necessarily mean that you know how to to teach it the way students uh, will need to know how uh, mm -hmm. to use it. Um, and so I, I was thinking of you in that situation. And so like one of your students brings up the point that, okay, so that's called the causative. And you're like, I don't actually know what that is. And so what Shannon might do in that situation is reach for a grammar book, as we all might do in that situation. So you reach for a grammar book and you look up the causative and, okay, so it's sitting there in front of you and you figure out what that means. But just knowing what a grammar term is doesn't, mean that you're going to know how to teach it. Um, I've seen a lot in, in my career, you know, um, teachers writing things like, uh, I don't know the term, uh, present continuous or whatever on the board and thinking that this is going to convey some sort of meaning to students where, well, it, it doesn't, it just conveys a, a term and, and they don't necessarily know what that means or even how to use it in real life. So while terminology is certainly important because that's what we need to know in order to look up something in a table of contents, it's, it's only part of the puzzle. It's only a piece. And it's only the piece that gets you into a grammar book. It actually doesn't do a whole lot in terms of teaching it to students or teaching students how to use that piece of grammar. Um, it happened to me along the way too. I was teaching a private lesson and a student came to me with his homework and he said, 
uh, my homework is about reported speech. And I said, reported what? <laughs> and I said, you're, you're going to have to give me a moment. And so I, I had a great grammar book with me, and I looked it up, and I was like, oh, okay, that's reported speech. Got it. And so I, I figured out quickly how, how to write it, um, which was only useful in correcting his homework. But I'm fairly certain that after that lesson, he he still didn't know how to turn around it and use it in real life. So again, terminology, great great for for looking up something in a book but not super useful in everyday use yeah absolutely and i think this represents sort of a um an interesting contradiction that where people start is not knowing grammar to the extent that they don't even know how much they don't know Mm. um you know the average native english speaker doesn't even know what terminology they're missing they've never even considered that they're there is all of this terminology and that there are all of these structures that have very specific names. Um, But then the flip side of that is that once they do figure that out, they think that's all they need. Right. As Lauren was saying, so they think that, okay, now I can open a grammar book and I can look up what this thing is called and that's what I need to to tell students and that's that's what teaching it means, is telling them the terminology. but again, there's still a lot more to it than that. Right. So I think that the question that we need to ask ourselves now is then what do we mean by teaching grammar? Like what are the elements that you need to know in order to teach a successful grammar lesson? Yes. And there are actually three very distinct things um, when we're teaching language in general. So when we're teaching grammar or vocabulary for that matter, uh, that we need to be able to convey to students so that they can then leave that lesson feeling confident in their ability to actually use that language. So when we're teaching grammar, there are three magic letters that we need to remember. And those letters are M, P, F. Um, M stands for meaning. P is pronunciation and F is form. So before the students can really learn anything else, they need to understand what a particular grammatical structure means. And when we're talking about meaning with grammar, we're not talking about the the meaning as in the definition of each word. Uh, We're talking about why we would use that structure in general. So the example that I gave about the causative structure, which was I had my house painted, um, that the first thing I need to know in order to be able to use that effectively is the meaning. Um, so again, that, that doesn't mean I need to know the definition of the word house. <laughs> Obviously I do, but that's concerning the vocab that has nothing to do with the grammar. Right. Um, I need to know why somebody would use this structure. So why would I say I had my house painted? What does that mean? Um, well, that means that I did not paint my house, right? Somebody else right. painted my house for me. Um, and they didn't just randomly volunteer to paint my house. It sounds like I asked them or most likely I paid them for this service. Um, we use this commonly in English, right? I had my house painted or I got my house painted. I got my hair cut. I got my car washed. I'm causing somebody else to do something for me. Um, so that's what we mean by meaning. And that's the first thing students need to know when it comes to learning grammar. Um, Another thing students need to know is how we actually pronounce this phrase in natural English. So oftentimes we don't say, I got my house painted. When we say it quickly, it sounds more like, I got my house painted. Um, So we need to think about which words in that sentence get the most emphasis and which words kind of get shortened or muddled or sort of lost in the middle of the phrase. 
Um, so in order for students to be able to walk out of the classroom and use this phrase and not sound like robots, they need to be able to pronounce it confidently and correctly. Absolutely. You know that there's also research that teaching students pronunciation not only helps them with the muscle memory of being able to say it, like, you know, uh, to form the sounds correctly, but also saying structures helps move um, language from short-term memory into long-term memory, uh, which is another motivation to, to focus some on pronunciation during your lesson. Yeah, that's a really great point. I mean, it, it seems pretty logical, right? How are you going to remember something better if you just look at it and write it or if you're actually saying it multiple yeah. times out loud? Um, so then the third thing that we mentioned was the F in MF, uh, MPF, which is form. Um, and that means the actual technical terminology that we just mentioned before is what some teachers think that grammar is only. This is just one third of it is the actual technical part of, of what each word in that structure is called. So in order to use that causative tense, I had my house painted or I got my house painted. Uh, well, first of all, we need to know that in American English, we often substitute that word had or have for got. We often say I got something done instead of I had something done. Um, and then students need to know what comes natural to a native speaker. They need to know what type of word fits in um, to each part of that phrase to correctly form that phrase. So the first thing I need is a subject. In this case, it's I, right? I had my house painted or I got my house painted. Could be somebody else. Lauren got her hair cut. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing we need is that word had or got. Um, and again, that's going to differ depending on whether we're using American English potentially or British English. That's also something you might not know unless you've been teaching for a little while or this has come up in your classroom. Um, and then finally, we need the, the action that's being done. And usually the object comes first. Um, so in the case of I got my house painted, we have the subject I have or got. In this case, sorry, it's past tense, so had or got. And then the thing, my house, the object, and then whatever the verb was. And the students need to know what form that verb goes in. So I got my house paint. No, that's not right. Got my house painted, right? So this is going to get really technical, but that verb has to be in the form that we call the past participle. Um, Again, this is something that new teachers don't usually realize. And you can probably tell just from listening to this explanation that as a student, if you don't already know the meaning, so why we would use this type of language in general, then hearing that word past participle means nothing to you, Correct. right? So that's why it's really important to go over the meaning first before we get into all the technicalities of the form. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, going back to, to what Shannon was saying about meaning, uh, the way that we teach meaning brings us to our next point, uh, creating a context for your grammar. So contextualization is a big thing that we talk about in our grammar lessons. So I'm going to stay with the same uh, sentence that, that Shannon has already talked about. I had my house painted. Uh, we, new teachers can often make the mistake of just teaching the meaning of the grammar. So for example, causative means that something that, that, uh, that you did not do something directly, but someone else did it for you, or you paid someone else to do it for you. Okay. That's fine. That's a start on meaning. Right. However, easier if you create a strong context. So for example, if I were to hold up a picture of my house, 
um, needing uh, to be painted. So it's in, you know, it's in bad condition or whatever. And then the next picture is someone else, not me painting it. And through a series of questions, I can ask the students, you know, did I paint the house myself? No. You know, did I pay someone to do it for me? Yes. Therefore, I had my house painted. Um, context is super important in setting up uh, teaching meaning because it also gives students a place to sort of put that grammar in their brains. So we don't carry around a grammar book in our, in our brains. We carry around a series of situations that we've been in throughout our, our lives. So fine, maybe they've not had their houses painted, but uh, let's use a, another grammar point. Um, so for example, um, can you think of some things that you did when you were a child that you no longer do um, now, Shannon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So give me an example. Sure. Um, I no longer have to do homework. Oh, great. Okay. Great. Yep. Um, I also used to have a car when I was a teenager. I don't have a car great. anymore. Thank great. you, uh, city living. <laughs> I don't yeah. have to drive. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that I think of too is like I, when I was a kid, I bit my nails a lot and I don't anymore. Um, oh, good for you. I haven't been able to kick that habit yeah. yet. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so in English, when we, uh, when we want to say that we did something, you know, in the past, but we no longer do it, we use the term used to. Mm -hmm. So I used to bite my nails. Um, I might show students a picture of, you know, a, my hand with, uh, you know, bit nails or, you know, no nails, um, when I was younger. And then a picture of me now or my actual hands now with a manicure. And I could ask them again through a series of questions. So, you know, did I bite my nails in the past? Yes. Once or many times. Many times. And do I bite my nails now? No. Um, so teaching grammar through a context rather than saying, we use used to to talk about situations that happened in the past that no longer happen now. Or right. habitual actions that happened in the past, sorry, that no longer happen now. Right. And you're going to get there, right? You're going to get to that point where you say the meaning, where you say, you know, you, that explanation is going to come out. We use used to, to talk about things that we did often in the past, but we don't do now. But that's not where you want to start. Correct. I think that's the take home message here is that, you know, if you think about what Lauren and I just did, she asked me some questions. Shannon, can you think of things that you did in the past, but you don't do now? That was instantly engaging for me because I'm thinking about things that right. are relevant to my own life. Um, I have memories of things that I did before that I no longer do. I can instantly relate to that. At that point, I didn't even know she was going to bring up a grammar point if I'm a student. Um, but all I know is that this is now suddenly relevant to me. I can totally understand how whatever we're talking about relates to my own life and my own need for language. Absolutely. Uh, versus just starting a lesson by saying, okay, class, today we're going to learn about the structure used to. Now, we use used to for blah, 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 blah. Um, that's a lot less engaging for students. It's also a lot less relevant for students in terms of being able to justify why they even need this particular grammatical structure. Yeah, I think that in as much as we can create context in the classroom uh, that mirror the students' everyday lives, you know, it's, uh, it will make the grammar more relevant to them for sure. Exactly. Well, that's the whole point of, of the students taking a class, right? They want to, anything they're learning in class, they want to be able to turn around and use in their normal lives. Exactly. You yeah. know, and so... Uh, Sometimes the the way in which we as teachers need to sort of learn uh, the grammar um, 
is not the order in which we present it in class, right? So we might go to a grammar book, as we were saying before, and learn the form, you know, and, the, and learn mm -hmm. the meaning and stuff like that. In the classroom, you're going to want to start with the context, which is often, as teachers, the last thing we think of um, as we're learning the grammar point ourselves. Right. It's the thing you want to lead with in the classroom, however. Exactly. And I think as soon as you can make it relevant to the students, um, if we go back to the example I gave about the causative tense, I got my house painted or I had my house painted, um, a fun one for that is, you know, you can just start the class by asking the students um, what they would do if they were really rich. You know, <laughs> think about all the things, all the chores in your life that you don't like to do. Now think about being really, really rich and you don't have to do any of those things. Um, yeah, that's good. What are the first things you would get someone else to do for you? Nice. Right? <laughs> so then it becomes fun. You can think about all the things you hate. I never want to do the dishes. I never want to do laundry. I never want to wash my car. Right. Um, and then the students aren't going to be able to say probably correctly, I would get my laundry done. I would have my car washed. Um, but you've created this need for the language and you've created this, this interest. And then from there, you can help them actually form the correct way of, of expressing this, yep, um, which is using that grammar that you've now sold actually quite well to them. Right. And it's all, you know, it's all about keeping them actively involved um, in, in the learning process as well. Exactly. Uh, and that brings us to our final point. Number five is that the grammar lesson doesn't really mean anything if you're not letting the students get a lot of practice time in after the teaching part. Um, so even if you've done a great job contextualizing the grammar, you've done a great job teaching the meaning, the form, and the pronunciation of this particular structure, um, if the students don't then get to practice it, they're not going to really leave class confident in their use of this grammar. Um, so there needs to be plenty of time at the end of the lesson for the students to then use whatever they've just learned to really kind of bring it home for them right. um, and give them that confidence. Absolutely, to practice what, what you've just taught and what they've just learned. Exactly. Um, and the, a good, easy formula for providing effective practice is to start with a practice activity that's a, that's a lot more restrictive. Um, so think, you know, maybe a fill-in-the-blank exercise or something like that where there's a clear right or wrong answer for each question. Um, that way the students can actually check that they're able to use the new language accurately. So you're kind of trying to weed out any errors that they might make or any areas where they're still confused about how this particular structure works. Right. From there, the next activity can be something where they're able to use that language more freely. Um, so that should be some sort of situation that's presented to them where hopefully that, that grammar is going to come up. You're not going to be able to, to force it to come up exactly. A situation, again, context is really important here. It should probably carry back to whatever context you've set at the beginning of the class. Mm -hmm. um, some situation where the grammar is likely to come up, and then you just sort of let them go, put them in pairs or small groups, right. and let the students really communicate trying to now use this new structure in a, in a much freer way. Exactly. And, you know, when you do that, do, do know, you know, it, it's okay if they make mistakes. They've only just learned the grammar. Um, and so really think about your role during that activity when, you know, when the students are in small groups uh, talking, using uh, whatever structure you've just taught them, what are you doing, right? Mm -hmm. um, you'll want to 
monitor those students closely in order to determine if they're using the grammar correctly or not. And then you're going to want to ask yourself whether it's worth interrupting them and correcting them right there on the spot or just holding off and letting them have that conversation with their partner and correcting them after the activity is over. Either way, you do want to be on top of students' errors, especially the ones that pertain specifically to the grammar point you've just taught. Right, exactly. I think there's something to be said for letting the students go in terms of not interrupting their their fluency practice and the flow of the activity. On the other hand, if they're making very obvious errors with the particular grammar that you've just taught them, you don't want that error to kind of fossilize or cement in their knowledge. You don't want right. them to, to start thinking that that sounds right. Um, so if it's with that particular grammar only, then it's probably worth, you know, gently interrupting and correcting on the spot. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Chad and I have been thinking sort of uh, recently about some of the resources that we accessed when we became uh, when we first became teachers and what was useful to us. Um, and we wanted to recommend some of those things to you as well. Uh, there are some resources that are very um, uh, teacher uh, friendly. <laughs> there are some right. that are very <laughs> student friendly. There are some that, that read sort of as like uh, encyclopedias of grammar, grammar, if you will, and are very sort of terminology heavy. Uh, they all meet different needs and we want to give you a few that you can access. Um, I think the one that I personally find myself reaching for the most even now as an experienced teacher is a book called Teaching Tenses. Uh, the author is Rosemary Aitken. Um, I like it a lot because it, um, it she writes a lot about context mm -hmm. and meaning um, and gives teachers ideas about how to set a, a meaningful context for, for grammar points. So if you can't think of, you know, a, a situation in which you might use the grammar naturally that right. you're teaching, uh, there's, she includes a list um, yeah. of context, possible context for that. Um, and then she goes into form and pronunciation as well. Um, but I do love that she's really heavy on the meaning and the use of the grammar. Yep. I think she also includes a section in most of the grammar points about um, common errors. She yeah, kind of gives yeah. you like a uh, a little section that's something like these are common errors that students make. So sort of things to watch out for, things that might potentially be confusing to students that you might not have even thought about. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, what's one of your favorites, Shannon? So I, I like a book uh, called Understanding and Using English Grammar. Um, by Betty S. Azar. And that is a really nice one if you're already fairly confident with meaning. So if you feel like you don't need a ton of help in terms of contextualization and in terms of, you know, when somebody would use this particular grammatical structure, um, Azar, I think, has a really nice way of breaking down the form very clearly. Yeah, yep. um, and she has some nice visuals as well. If you're a, a visual person, I think she has some nice diagrams. Yep. Um, her explanations just tend to be very well organized and the formatting on the page is really clear. Um, so if you're already fairly confident in the, in the use of the grammar, I think she's a great one to check out, but maybe not the best if you're in need of, of some help in terms of how to actually present the language in the classroom. Yeah. Uh, another book that I like to recommend to, uh, to trainees on the course is actually a student book. So it's called grammar in use and it's by Raymond Murphy 
Um, it was originally intended as a self-study book for students. The advantage I feel for for teachers or people who are learning to be teachers is that the explanations of the grammar in that book are very simple. Uh, there are pictures, there are example sentences, and there are very um, clear and concise um, explanations of meaning. And then uh, there are a lot of practice activities for form. What the book doesn't have is pronunciation. And so you want to reach for another resource for that. But it is a pretty good start. If you're feeling overwhelmed by grammar, in particular, this book is nice because it kind of dials it back a bit and, and is a, a very student-friendly resource. Mm-hmm. Um, and one other one that I think is worth mentioning is a book called About Language by Scott Thornbury. Yeah. Uh, that one, I want to say, is almost more intellectual maybe than practical in terms of classroom use, but it's really interesting. So if you have any interest in the English language at all and kind of the, the ins and outs and what we know and what we don't know about it as native speakers, that's a really fun one to read. And the way he writes it is it's almost like a self-study course. So he'll do um, within the book like little exercises or little things that you can think about or reflect on, and then he'll give you some commentary on that particular aspect of grammar. So it's a really interesting read if you're curious about our own language, um, probably a little bit less practical in terms of actually information that you would want to use with students in the classroom. Absolutely. And then, of course, as teachers, we can't um, ignore that um, some people learn best by actually hands-on learning. Um, so grammar books are great and absolutely have a couple on your bookshelf if you're making a, a career out of, out of teaching um, ESL. However, uh, you might also uh, want to access um, online materials uh, for uh, learning grammar as English teachers would want to. Um, and there are uh, there are tons of things online. Um, if you did a, a grammar search for, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, a, a Google search for grammar for English teachers, you'd probably find a million things. I would yeah. say <laughs> stick to the things that you know. So um, I know that Cambridge has a lot of really good resources uh, for teachers on their Cambridge English teacher website. Mm -hmm. um, anything with, with Oxford or Pearson would also be good. Right. Those um, are reputable sources for and they're, sure. And they're also the sources that our course books are, are based on. So those are things that, you, that you'll, that you'll want to access. Right. I think they're designed for, they're designed with students in mind, Absolutely. with teachers and students in mind. Um, of course, the issue with looking for resources on the internet is you just don't always know where exactly they're coming from or how accurate they are. If you Google something in terms of grammar, um, there's no way to really know if the information you're finding is accurate or if it's just something that's coming from some random person's answer to a forum question. Um, right. So I think it, it can get a little dicey in that sense. So ideally what you want to do is get advice from people who've been there, people who have been in a classroom and people who have, who have been in your shoes, who have been stuck you know, with a question from a student and, you know, not knowing how to answer it. Um, and so Shen and I have been, have been working really hard to put together some resources for you um, that are super teacher friendly um, from people who have been in the trenches. That would be us. Um, <laughs> and who look at language the way teachers need to in order to effectively teach it to students. 
Exactly. So we have actually just put out a grammar course. As Lauren said, we've been working really hard on this. We're extremely excited. Um, and this is a really great resource if you are a prospective teacher or a current teacher, or even if you just feel like you want to know more about English grammar in a way that is clear and easy to understand and interpret. Um, so the course is is great. Um, we, we think it's really helpful. Lauren has done all the visuals for the course and they look absolutely amazing. Um, and I think we're really <laughs> excited about this course because we don't know of anything else like it. So I'd say most grammar courses tend to be pretty dry. I don't know what you're picturing or imagining when we say a grammar course, but the first thing that comes to my mind is some sort of matching activity or multiple choice test, um, maybe some long written explanations. Um, this is really, really different than that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We, we've, uh, we've tried really hard to make it um, as visually interesting as possible and interactive as possible, uh, as interactive as an online course can be. Um, with, uh, and we've done a lot of research into um, micro-learning, micro-learning videos, for example. Um, and uh, so micro-learning being learning in small chunks, um, and then uh, with the idea that it's easier to retain, um, yeah, to retain it exactly. And I think something that we're really proud of is that um, everything we've just talked about about meaning first and contextualization um, is incorporated into that course. Yeah. So again, I think the standard grammar course is for maybe a teacher who, you know, as a native English speaker, you already know the meaning and the use sort of implicitly. Um, and so the focus tends to be really heavy on form and on terminology, and that also makes it quite dry. It also means that you then still have to think about all that stuff when it comes to students. You know, right. like we've been saying, just knowing why we use a particular structure inherently doesn't mean we can then turn around and, and clarify that to students in any way that makes logical sense. Right. Um, so this course, we've designed it with exactly that in mind, that context and meaning are huge. Um, so every unit begins there. Um, exactly. It begins with a particular grammatical structure and exactly when or why we would use it right. and how to convey that information to students before it then gets into the form and the nitty gritty of the terminology. Right. We've we've created the course with you in mind. Um, so with with the you know the teacher who's just about to start a teacher training course or with a new teacher in mind, a, a teacher who has found themselves in their first couple years of teaching and just doesn't know how to approach grammar. We've created a course in which we feel that we are, we've given, um, we're giving teachers grammar in a way that they can then turn around and teach their students. Exactly. And we think it's more fun yeah. <laughs> because of that too, because they're actually videos and, and context instead of just fill in the blank sort of worksheets. Um, right. So yeah, yeah, definitely check it out. Um, you can find it on the website. There's a link right in the show notes. Um, we'll also include all of the, the other resources, the books that we mentioned in the show notes so that you can check those out too, if you're interested. Yeah. And thanks so much again for, for, uh, for listening and for supporting us. Uh, we absolutely couldn't do this without you. Exactly. Thank you so much for being here and good luck with that grammar. Yeah, happy, <laughs> happy grammaring. <laughs> happy grammaring. Until next time. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for listening. Your support means so much to us. Feel free to leave a comment below if you enjoyed this and let us know what you want to hear about in upcoming episodes. If you know other teachers and travelers, we'd love for you to share this podcast with them too. And tune in this coming Tuesday for our next episode. Until then, you can find us at TuffleHorizons.com. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons.